we're uh, finishing our studies in the book of Galatians this morning, so we're turning to Galatians chapter 6, um, a study in Galatians that we started back in September, and so we're reading from the very last chapter, and we're reading from uh, chapter 6, verse 6, to the end of the book, chapter 6, 18, and you can find that on the church Bibles on page 1172, if you would like to have the Bible open, we'll be working through this passage, and it will be great to have that in front of you. So reading from Galatians 6 and 6, and Paul writes this. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who, believe, who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they are doing this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. And so today we come to the end of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, and we finish our series in Galatians. Uh, and from next Sunday, we're into Advent, and we'll be thinking and preparing for Christmas. But we've seen how Paul will, uh, has led out in, in, in this book the gospel of salvation as a free gift uh, by grace alone in Christ alone. We've seen how we now enjoy that wonderful freedom as children of God. And how as we respond to these truths by opening ourselves to the love of God and to the Spirit of Christ, He works within us to, to develop in us gospel character, fruit of the Spirit, and lead us, leads us in gospel-shaped relationships. So with all of this in mind, as Paul draws his letter to a close, he turns again to the world of agriculture for his last element of teaching to the church. And it's all about sowing and reaping. You see, as part of his final exhortations, Paul gives us this important reminder of an unchangeable, God-ordained principle that's written not just into the laws of nature and agriculture, but into all of life, including the moral and spiritual aspects of life. A man or woman reaps what he or she sows. Verse 7. And Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So we have a picture coming up uh, now, I hope, hopefully. Oh, yes, there you go. So there's this man in a combine harvester somewhere between Cumber and Newton Ards. 
and, and, he, and he's reaping barley. So I was out walking one day and I saw this and I thought, there's, there's my illustration. He was, he was reaping barley. Reaping barley. So, so guess what he'd sown in his field? Yep. He was, so, he was reaping exactly what he'd sowed. You see, in agriculture, God had promised Noah that as long as earth remained, seed time and harvest, that is sowing and reaping, would not cease. If a farmer wants to wants a harvest, he must sow the seed in his field. Because if there is no sowing, then there is no reaping. And the kind of harvest, this is what Paul goes on to talk about here, the kind of harvest that he will get will depend on how the farmer sows. Firstly, it's obviously dependent on what the farmer sows. If the farmer wants barley, he sows barley. If he wants wheat, he must sow wheat, and so on. Because he will not reap anything other than what he sows. Secondly, the kind of harvest that a farmer gets is is dependent on the quality of what he sows. If he sows bad seed, well, he'll get a bad harvest. If he sows good seed, he will reap a good harvest. And thirdly, his harvest is dependent on the quantity of the seed that he sows. Because if he sows lightly, well, he can expect to get a light, a light harvest. If, on the other hand, he sows plentifully, then he can expect to reap a bumper crop. So if a farmer wants to reap a good harvest, he must sow the right kind of seed, he must sow the best quality seed, and he must sow plenty of the seed. If he does these things, he can expect to, to reap a good harvest. And, and likewise in our lives. You see, if we get our sowing right, then the reaping will follow. If we are faithful in our sowing, in sowing the right seed, the good seed, and plenty of the seed, then we will have a good harvest. And reaping what, a, what we sow is this unchangeable natural and spiritual law of God. And, and in order to remind us of this, Paul emphasizes, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. So God and his laws can't be mocked. Let us not be deceived and think otherwise. And then Paul goes out to point out that how this law is at work in three areas of the life of the Christian. Or the life of anyone for that matter. Firstly, we will reap what we sow in the area of learning. Verse 6, Paul tells us that anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Receiving instruction in the word is all about learning from the Bible, from God's word. And we do, we do well to learn well, to sow well in this whole area of knowledge and learning. We receive instruction in the Word when we gather like this on a Sunday, on a Sunday morning and Sunday evening to hear God's Word preached and explained to us. We sow well in this area too when we go along to small group Bible study. And there are many of these available to us in this church. And if you're not a member of one of these yet, then please speak with myself or Robin because small group Bible study is a good place in which to sow and learn and grow. We sow in this area of learning as well when we open up at God's Word at home or in our personal quiet times, and particularly if we have some Bible reading notes to help us, because the Bible is not always easy to understand, and some Bible reading notes can help us to understand what God is saying to us. And if you'd like to receive Bible notes, then John Jack is our agent for these, and John will be very happy to supply you with some helpful notes. If you'd like to have these, there's details at point 10 in our church announcement sheet or a little box on the back that you can tick and just put it in the, the plate or bring it to the office and John will be in touch. Or perhaps you might like to borrow a book from the church library. 
There are many good books in the library that can help us to sow well in this area of learning. You know, I was reading recently an article about the church in North Korea. And the church there is the most persecuted church anywhere in the world. In North Korea, the Christians aren't able to to have public times of worship. They don't have theological colleges. They don't even all have Bibles. But one thing they do is this. They learn the great Christian uh, truths and teachings off by heart. So that they can draw on them for themselves and are able to pass them on to others. They learn the Apostles' Creed. We've just been singing it earlier. They learn the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, a few other central passages of Scripture. They learn what we might call memory verses and a couple of well-known hymns, and they learn them well enough to be able to draw on them when they don't have Bibles and to be able to teach them to others. And God is growing his church there. And interestingly, interestingly, when the 16th century reformers, when they were wading through all the 1,500 years of tradition and baggage that the church had gathered up, when they sat down to look at what are the essentials of the Christian faith, along with compiling a couple of catechisms, they came up with pretty much the same thing. So let us, let us be quick to actually learn some of these great truths so that we have a treasure chest to draw on, a treasure chest full of wonderful Bible teaching that we can draw on at any time. Remember, even Jesus himself, when he was tempted in the desert, he responded to Satan with a memory verse. He said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Paul promises what we, what we sow, we will reap. And we will reap what we sow in this area of learning and knowledge. You see, if we fill our minds with a whole lot of the rubbish that the world throws at us, then we will reap a harvest of rubbish. But if, on the other hand, we fill our heads with God's Word, then we will grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, and we will reap a good and godly harvest. Secondly, Paul says that we will also reap what we sow in the area of holiness. Verse 8. You see, Jesus says, be you holy as I am holy. And Paul writes, the one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Here Paul returns again to that theme of the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. We we looked at this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at chapter 5 of his letter. And there Paul likened the Christian to a battlefield where there is a conflict raging between the old sinful nature and the Holy Spirit who has now come to live within us as we come to faith in Christ. And if Paul described the Christian as a battlefield in chapter 5, here in chapter 6 he likens the Christian to a plot of land. A plot of land divided into two fields into which we can sow seed. One of the fields is the sinful nature and the other field is the spirit. And you see, our harvest is dependent on which of the two fields we sow into and what we sow into. Verse 8 tells us that if we sow in the field of the sinful nature, from that field we will reap destruction. But if we sow in the field of the spirit, then from that field we will reap eternal life. So what we become is largely shaped by which of these two fields we sow into. And we've seen from chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago that the sinful nature is our lower nature with all its worldly and fleshly desires. 
And that field remains in us even after our conversion. And it's one of the fields that we can so easily sow into if we're not careful. But it's a field of weeds and nettles and thistles and things that will inevitably hurt us. Hurt us and hurt our neighbor and offend our God. So we will want to avoid sowing into that particular field. If, on the other hand, we sow in the field of the Spirit, we will reap an eternal life-giving harvest. We are to sow in the field of the Spirit by our thoughts and words and deeds, by the books we read, the music we listen to, the programs we watch, the friends, the company we keep, the careers we pursue. You see, by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us in every area of our lives, we will be sowing well into the field of the Spirit. In our times of worship and prayer and Bible study and fellowship, we are sowing into the Spirit. So firstly, we avoid sowing to the sinful nature, and secondly, we sow to the Spirit, and thus we will reap a harvest of holiness. And thirdly, then, Paul says that we also reap what we sow in the area of doing good, verses 9 and 10. The subject moves from the areas of learning and holiness to doing works of charity in our church and in our community. In verse 9, Paul writes, Let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Paul gives us this this incentive as we carry on works of charity and mercy and our ministries in those areas. And, And we certainly need an incentive, don't we? Because as we seek to care for one another and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we we can easily get discouraged and, and we can easily suffer from what we call compassion fatigue. You see, active Christian service is tiring and it's costly. And Paul knows that. And so he urges us not to become weary in our service. You see, it's like this. If a farmer gets weary after sowing only half his field, well he will gather only half a harvest. If he wants a full harvest, he must continue to sow the full whole field. The same is true of good deeds. There is to be no half measures. We must not stop halfway, but we sow the whole field, so then we gather a harvest from the whole field as well. See, people, people often talk about their good deed for the day. You know, you You help someone across the road or you bring your neighbor's bin in or people say to you, well, that's your good deed for the day. And and that's a nice gesture, surely. Yes, certainly it is. But here's the thing. One good deed is like one good seed. And, And that will give us a harvest that you might expect from one seed. But we will want to be harvesting bigger and better than that, won't we? So if we sow lots of seeds of good deeds into our community and family and friends, uh, by our good deeds, what will we harvest? Well, doing good to our neighbor is an expression of our love for them and of our love for God. It is to fulfill the great commandments to love God and to love our neighbor. It is to fulfill our God-given vision here at Orangefield, to be caring for one another and to be loving our neighbors near and far. Doing good will bring a harvest. It will bless them. It will bring them comfort or practical assistance. It will help them to be open, more open to the spiritual things as we build positive relationships with them and as we share and live out the gospel in their midst. It will lead to people coming to faith in Christ. 
it will lead to their salvation as they see our good works and praise our Father in heaven. And and see, doing good in Jesus' name will bring us good too. It will bring us a harvest even, even when we don't seem to be meeting with any great visible success because our own character will be developed through our ongoing ministries. Our conscience will be clear. Our hearts will be happier as we live less selfish and more satisfied lives. And we will be storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Therefore, Paul continues in verse 10, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And this world is full of opportunities, isn't it? And Paul says that we should especially do good to those within the church, to our fellow Christians. As we would say, charity begins at home. And Paul would say, yes, but also it mustn't stop there. He says, let us do good to all people. So it is by our faith in Christ that we are saved. But Christ himself teaches us in Matthew 25 that our good deeds will be the evidence of our faith, the evidence of our salvation. If it's not putting it too irreverently, our good works will be the proof of the pudding. So Paul looks at these three areas of our lives to which the unchangeable principle of reaping what we sow applies. In each case, whilst the seed and the soil represent different things, one thing remains the same, the principle, we will reap what we sow. And in all of this, as we seek to sow well, to reap well, we remember too the promise that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Verse 9. We will reap a harvest. You see, Paul does not say that we may reap a harvest if we do not give up. No, this is for certain. This is God's promise. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And here's another wonderful truth about sowing and reaping that really excites me. When I was preparing this talk, I, I, I spoke to my uncle. My uncle is a cereal farmer. And I asked him, I said, for every ton of barley, just out of interest, for every ton of barley that you sow in the spring, how much barley would you harvest in the autumn? And he went and did a wee bit of research and thought about it for a bit and did the maths. And he came back to me and he said, for every one ton of barley that I sow in the spring, dependent on the weather that year, I reap anywhere between 12 and 48 tons of barley in the autumn. Now, that's quite a variation, but get this. He sows one ton, and he reaps between 12 and 48. Even in a bad year, he sows one ton, and he reaps 12. He reaps anywhere. He sows one ton, and he reaps anywhere between 12 and 48 tons in the autumn. The harvest always, get this, the harvest always, the harvest always far outweighs the amount that is sown. So let's not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And see, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking that you haven't been sowing anything much recently or you haven't been sowing terribly well. You haven't been sowing the right seed or good seed or enough seed. 
Well, you know what? It's not too late to change that. It's not too late to change. You see, you're here this morning and God's speaking to you and he's giving you another chance. He's giving us all another chance. Because in God's economy, in God's economy, in the grace of God, you see, he's much more concerned with where you're going than with where you've been. He's much more concerned with what you're going to sow today and tomorrow than with what you sowed yesterday. And it's not too late to start sowing and to start sowing right and better and more. It's not too late. This morning, folks, we all have another opportunity to commit or to recommit ourselves to God and to living for Him. Another opportunity to commit to sowing well, to sowing the right seed, to sowing quality seed, to sowing lots of seed. In these three areas of learning, holiness, and doing good. Let's take that opportunity today, knowing that as sure as autumn follows summer, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then just following on from this important teaching on the principles of sowing and reaping, and to conclude his letter, Paul writes in verse 11, he, 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 he takes the pen from the hand of his scribe and he, he writes himself, see what large letters I use as I write with my own hand. As he signs off in his own handwriting, Paul uses large letters in these last few verses to underline the whole point of his letter. The whole reason why he'd written to defend and promote the gospel of grace, something that we've seen him doing throughout the letter. In verse 12 and 13, Paul again stresses that the gospel, it's not about outward signs or customs or laws or traditions. These are the things the false teachers have been teaching That was what Paul called no gospel at all. Paul finishes by reminding us in verse 14 that the only thing that he has to boast about is the cross of Christ. Like Paul, we cannot save ourselves and we do not have to. Our whole salvation, that is a pardon for our past, a purpose for our present, and a promise of paradise for our future. Our whole salvation was bought and paid for by Christ at the cross. And it is offered to us as a free gift by God. We must receive this gift by faith. And no one can boast about it for we have contributed nothing to it. We are sinners saved by grace. And what counts now, says Paul in verse 15, is that God is making us a new creation working in us by his spirit and his word, making us more like the people that he wants us to be, more like Jesus. And as we come now to communion, we come to the end of our series in Galatians. And as I said, when we started into the series, I believe that God led us to study this letter because it it is very much in keeping with the vision which he has given us as a congregation here at Orangefield for the years ahead, to hunger for his spirit, to read his word, to care for one another, and to love our neighbors. And because also in this 500th anniversary year of the start of the Reformation, it is a book that was central to the thinking of the great reformers. You see, Galatians takes us right back to basics and to the great biblical doctrines that were reclaimed during the Reformation and which continue to be true for us today. The five solas of the Reformation are right here. So just as I finish, 
In Galatians, we are reminded that Scripture alone is sufficient for our salvation and that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. It is my hope. It is my hope and prayer that as we've journeyed together through this letter, we've been reminded of these wonderful gospel truths and that we've started to respond to them afresh in how we, as his people, live our lives to the glory of the God who loves us. Amen. Amen.